This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we're refining and redefining the sales game today. We're going to talk a little bit about sales, we're going to talk a little bit about service, and we're going to talk a whole lot about profiling applicants in training. We got Mr. Justin Goodman here with Total CSR, a product that we use in our agency, and would love to just spend some time rapping with him about the changes that they've seen and what's coming up and how agencies are being successful using them. So Justin, thanks for taking some time to come on and talk to us today, man. Love it, man. Thanks for having me on. Sure thing. So before we get into the nitty gritty about Total CSR, talk a little bit about your background. Because I mean, one of the things that I really like about the insurtech space right now is it seems like there is just a ton of stuff out there that's for agents by agents. And you guys are sort of an example of that. So talk a little bit about your background and what led you to recognize the need to even begin to develop the product. Yeah, so for me, uh, started about 20 years ago. Uh, my father had sold his agency to a large public company. Um, I was selling boxes and tape, begged for a job uh, because I'd met a girl and uh, decided recurring commissions were a bit better. And so uh, based on that agency, they, they said, hey, let's, let's bring him in. And um, I actually don't fit the ideal producer profile. I'm probably the opposite of the ideal producer profile as far as uh, personality. I was a guy who had social anxiety, cold call reluctance, all these things that aren't a great fit necessarily, but I had a desire to uh, make enough money to provide for, for my uh, new bride. So um, I started there and I started as a producer and worked my way through the organization and ultimately uh, ended up running their construction unit and developing two uh, test cases for the company, the first of which was their small business units, which were some of the first few small business units that were actually put into the industry. And so we used that model and distributed it nationwide. And the other thing was outsourcing. Uh, Before a couple of the uh, India-based firms uh, were developed, they were actually working with us and working on my pilot project. So uh, those were two passion projects I had Ultimately, working at that agency was difficult because I do small artisan contractors, which wasn't really their wheelhouse. They want accounts $10,000 in commission revenue and up. And they said, hey, Justin, we're no longer going to pay on those $10,000 and lower. And so we'll work on a transition plan. But ultimately, that wasn't going to be workable for my business model. And so I worked out a deal, which is very unusual, to buy my book of business back. And because they didn't really want that anyway, we came to reasonable terms. That was back in 08, just before the crash. And then the crash happened. And so my brother and I started our agency and we sold through the Great Recession, if you will. But one of the challenges we have had in the organization was obviously training people. Uh, I thought that I was going to, based on my reputation, be able to pull the best and brightest. The wallet that I had at that time did not justify uh, those people coming over. I wanted construction experts with lots of expertise, and I had a very limited budget. And so what brought me to this point was I had to train new to industry hires, 
but I was teaching like my father taught me as if I wanted them to take over the business, which requires tremendous amount of time and effort. Huge investment on your end, man. I mean, your time at a point in your agency's lifespan where you really don't have time. Absolutely. And so for me, what I realized was I would train them six months in or a year in. Uh, these individuals, mostly millennials, would then get an offer from a big regional firm and say, hey, Justin, I'm sorry, but I got a 20% raise going here. And so that pattern kept repeating itself. And my brother said, you know, Justin, you're getting really frustrated about this. We, we might have to look at something different. And so at that point, that's when we said, well, I've got all the material. I've been doing this person to person. I can do this a different way if I leverage technology. And that was where we really started off developing total CSR. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's really my background. I'm an ops guy, not a traditional salesperson, although I don't think you necessarily need to be a traditional salesperson. You just have to be willing to endure the pain of that difficulty <laughs> versus the pain of not having it in your paycheck. Um, although that's sure. not the ideal situation and not necessarily what I'd recommend to other agencies. Yeah, no, I mean that I, I agree. Like I walked in, had zero experience in commercial insurance production. So that's, I mean, I think that the industry by and large has a massive training gap. It doesn't matter if you're a salesperson, if you're a service person, that's the number one excuse that I hear from people all the time. Aside from, well, I don't want to spend all this money on bringing somebody in and they'll turn around and leave and go somewhere else that's better. Yeah, well, I mean, I get that, but um, most of the time, it's we don't have a training program. Yeah, so I mean, are you talking, because like there's tons of ways out there for people to get knowledge about the insurance aspect, but are you talking from like a like a sales training well, not even just that, or, but I mean, even if you look at what Total CSR does, right. it's the nuances, man. I mean, we can get into this, you know, now, but like the soft skills training, how you need to speak with somebody that calls in with a service request on the phone, cross-selling, all of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are things that are second nature to somebody who's been doing it for 20 right. years, but not somebody that's just coming in, you know, right out of the box. You know who the best cross-sellers are? Freaking McDonald's drive through workers because they're the ones who are going to ask you if you want to be supersized every single time. And you know why? Because somebody told them they had to do it. They don't even know why they're doing it. Yeah, Other than the fact somebody trained them to do it reflex. that way. Right. But how many times do you bring somebody in? Look at us. You know, how often am I putting something out saying, hey, time to go back and look and see how many clients do we have that don't have life with the agency? Need to go out and talk to them about life. Everybody need, you know, and again, it, it's just over and over and over again. I should be, I should just have a set procedure that is part of the onboarding process that says we need to talk to every client that comes into the agency about life insurance. And this is why that's mm-hmm. important. This is how you do it and all of that stuff. Well, it's important that you bring it up as many times as you do. Cause I think when, I think in traction is where I was reading it, we were something like seven times, be, you know, hearing something before people like actually adopt or start, you know, like retaining it and doing it. So, uh, you know, there's definitely some logic behind that. Yeah. Agreed. So you guys decided you were going to build, you know, what essentially is a huge knowledge base. I imagine you had a pretty good head start, right? Because if you were doing this in your own agency, you probably already had all the materials and everything that you needed to begin with the basic framework of what you were doing. I mean, I know that when I built Killing Commercial, I already had all of the videos and all of that stuff for the most part, especially all of like the printed collateral, the videos and stuff I had to had to go and re-record. But as far as like all of the the collateral and marketing materials and things like that, that we make part of that, that was a relatively easy process. And, you know, it's not lost on me that you talked about using outsourced labor too, because to me, now I can connect the dots with what you did. You ha- you have to have that knowledge base if you're going to outsource labor. And it, so, you know, to, to be able to have the ability to bring a VA into the mix, especially if they're going to do any kind of actual, he- not heavy lifting, but, you know, typical agency work, you got to have a way to train them and you want that to be a consistent process. And boom, there you are. I mean, that's, that's the one reason for us specific. So we, you know, people who listen to our show know that in our agency, we don't use a VA yet for anything other than appointment setting and telemarketing. And we built that all ourselves. But when we brought him in, before we ever brought him in, all of that was completely built out so that he understood exactly what the expectations are. And it's it's funny, 
uh, I was on the call uh, on a call right before this with a guy that I spend time with on a call every week for 30 minutes. And he was talking about why do you, the, the, the con the conversation went to Chick-fil-A. He said, why do you think, why do you think that their drive through performs so, so much better than everybody else? I said, because the expectation is set when somebody comes in, they're trained around that expectation and it's disciplined. If you don't meet expectation, you're going to hear about it. I mean, it's really that basic, but we don't do that. Nobody does that in the agency world. We're just happy to have a body come in the door half the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the first thing is they have a process, right? Like they've got a defined yeah. process <laughs> that they know works. And then from there, they're able to to just, you know, rinse and repeat. And, and Yeah. It and starts with letting your drive-through get wrapped around the building three times just to show everybody <laughs> how quickly you can long. clear it out. It's crazy. I've, I've never man. seen anything like it. That's the only but you're place it I in, will go. In 10 minutes every time. At the most. At the most, right. 10 minutes. It, it's the only place I will see how backed up it is and not have a problem stopping because I know what the ex- you set the expectation for the employee and as a result the client expectation is set as well. Mm-hmm. So talk Absolutely. about that transition, man. I mean, that's a little bit of work. I mean, it, it's one thing to have it in the agency, but to turn around and take what's essentially your training program and flip it into something that's marketable to the outside world is an interesting journey in and of itself. What did that look like? I mean, what what were the obstacles that you felt like you had to overcome when you decided, all right, we're going to make this thing mainstream and, and see what we can do with it? Well, one of the big challenges is I did have a decent amount developed, but we had hired the head of e-learning from Toastmasters International and we had to teach him first to help build things out. And what I realized is some of the stuff that I was accusing these other training companies of doing and assuming too much of new learners, I was still doing that same thing mm-hmm. and not connecting the dots. And so we had to take whatever I had built and written out and really simplify it and connect those dots because I kept making assumptions. So that was one of the biggest challenges we had out the gate. Uh, The next thing was trying to figure out how to get all these moving pieces together because I don't have a programming background. And ultimately, we did have a solution that was really duct taped together as our really initial proof of concept. So the biggest challenge out the gate was making sure the content was done right. Um, The other challenge was how we were going to get the messaging out because You've got the National Alliance, you've got the Institutes, and people look to that for training. Now, they don't train on the same things, but we had to educate that we were doing something different. And we were very fortunate that I'd consulted with a few other insure techs that had large uh, email lists and had offered for free to email market to their customer base because what I was going to do and provide would actually help in their process as well. And so... That was a challenge getting out that was quickly resolved and then really developing a roadmap. We made assumptions and what I thought the company was going to be, I thought way too small. And so I didn't think of certain things, i.e. getting detailed reporting throughout the process and some integrations that larger companies would want because I just assumed we'd never have a larger company that would want to use us. They would all have their own sophisticated training and that we would only just do commercial lines. And, and, and then I run into you at the, you know, Insurance Alliance Network or Insurance Networks Alliance or whatever it's called in Chicago, which is like, now you're dealing with people that are multiples the size of the, the big ones that are out there and available to you. So it's interesting, you know, I think a lot of the time that's the case, right? I mean, I see it with producers all the time, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. <clears throat> you know, people come in and they don't, they don't think big enough. Many times you have to, you know, my biggest, I I tell people this all the time, my number one job when I work with a new producer is to be a psychologist and just get them to believe they can do whatever it is that they've done. And that's, you know, that's the angle, right? You got to get them to believe they got I mean, people come in and say, Oh, I want to produce 50,000 in revenue in my first year when you know, they're fully capable of producing a hundred or 150. It's just a matter of getting them to believe they can do that. Like teaching your kid to ride a bike. I hate to use a cliche, but you know, the first time it's a little wobbly. The second time, not so much. The third time they're like flying down the street and you got to make sure they know where the brakes are. Hmm. Yeah. And I think the other challenge for us, it started as one is when you develop something, it's your baby and we started getting initial feedback, that pride gets a little hurt when somebody says, 
hey, this is not ideal in this spot or not ideal in this spot. And then we quickly, I got uh, some advice from one of those insured techs. And he says, look, you're getting free consultant from consulting from your, your customers on how to be better, which is going to increase your retention, increase your sales overall. And so I had to switch that mindset and take that input in. And when I tied to, I didn't think big enough. It's when I had my initial top 100 companies who would take a look at us and say, well, it doesn't really meet this need, so we can't talk to you at this time. And had I just taken that with my prideful self and just said, well, I'm not going to deal with you guys, that would have been a challenge. But um, we shifted that mindset, not only with myself, but with my brother. And, you know, and so we changed our assumptions on the, the value of that input. We changed our assumptions on who would want our product. And that caused us to bet big on ourselves. We spent redoing our platform north of a half million dollars about nine months ago to make it better. And when we are privately funded, I didn't take outside dollars, no private equity, no VC funds. That's a sizable bet to make on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a $500,000 insurance policy of you <laughs> succeeding. I can yeah. tell you that. You're not going to ever work harder until you throw that kind of money down. Yeah, and and fortunately, we've been rewarded. I mean, we now, 50 of the top 100 privately held companies use us. We've got $2 billion agencies that use us for all of their training. And so by taking that feedback, by being bigger, by investing, ultimately, we got on their radar. And... You know, but we had no guarantees that that was going to drive a response in them other than their initial feedback they provided to us. And so I had to have enough confidence to say, if I build it, they will become interested and will open more doors for us. So it sounds like the the target has changed a little bit over time and you've had to make some adjustments. I mean, is there you know, is, is there, is there a target client that, that fits you right now? I mean, obviously like we've used you guys, but you just mentioned there's, you know, tons of much larger companies than ours that, that have used you as well. What's, what's that look like? Well, and hold on really quick. Cause I did, yeah, I wanted to make sort of a similar point in that, you know, if the people listening to this, very few of them are from massive agencies, right? That's mm-hmm. the beauty of what these guys have built. You get something that's big enough in, in, you know, respectable, a respectable product that these large international firms in many cases will use it, but it's at a price point that the average main street agency can afford it. So I don't want the people that are in the smaller agencies to sit here and think, Oh, well, this is only for, you know, Gallagher and Marsh and whoever, you know, that, that may be using this product. It's for you people. And, you know, if it's good enough for them, it's exactly what you need, but it's at a price point where you can make that investment. And here's the thing, man, Justin nailed it right out of the box when he said, you know, I, it's the taking the time to teach them the way that my father taught me. There's not an agency principal out there, in my opinion, that's in a main street agency that's going to take that time. Many times they don't have it, but even if they do, now you're going to be robbing them going to play golf or go to happy hour or do whatever they're going to do. And so people just get cast by the wayside. So I do think it's important. Talk a little bit about the spread. I mean, it's great that you guys are in the big ones, but you're really meeting a need that's a desperate need for the smaller agencies that lack even more time than the bigger ones do. So they need that return. Well, yeah, and... Oftentimes they don't conceptually understand how much time they spend on training a new hire and the dollar figure tied to it. Um, so our price point for a one active user at any given point is $2,000 a year. Now, some of the small agencies, and we have agencies as small as three-person operations. In fact, 25% of our customer base has 10 or less employees. But amongst that group, we've had an education process and do the math, have your most educated person go and apply these hours, what you would think to actually train somebody, which to train someone to handle a commercial lines book of business is typically when you talk to large agencies, a year to year and a half process to get done. We do it in a much shorter time frame without using human capital. And so educating these three person, five person operations saying you're spending 10 to $15,000 training this person, let alone lack of productivity because Janie didn't have the time to train on a new process. 
And once they understand that, they say, oh, this makes sense. Now, the only challenge we've had with the larger companies is I hear more from the large companies about their budgets. And so, for example, we'll have a large privately held company where just one office wants to test us. And they're saying, oh, this $2,000 is a loss. Now, they do $500 million a year in revenue. And then I have to check them and say, this three-person podunk operation does have no problem with this. They, they're not concerned because they can see the value. And so um, we've actually had a tremendous amount of success with the smaller agencies because once we describe that and explain that value proposition, then they get it, they understand, um, and that we are for both the small and the large companies. How much pushback do you get if you sit to try and explain to an agency owner that it's costing them twelve to $15,000 a year? Because my equation there is it's probably very similar to sitting down with an insured and explaining to them the soft costs surrounding a worker's comp claim. It's so I'll, we fortunately, once they see the platform and, and truly understand what we do, it's not that big of a hurdle. Uh, so we close 65% of every demo we do. Um, so once we get them there, it's more on when we get the phone call, tell me about your product. It's why I say, I'm not going to do a phone conversation. I'm going to show you or have one of my team members show you because once they see it, they can conceptualize it and go, okay, the value's there because I don't want to teach this or better yet. I tell them to bring on their account managers, account executives to watch. And they said, oh yeah, if we don't have to do this, then we're in a far better spot. And so that's really what helps move the needle for us. Um, and then you just have some people who will never get it. Oh, we can do it faster, better. And I said, great, teach me how you do it faster and better. I'll try and improve my product. Um, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's also part of it too. I mean, I don't know. You would obviously know this way better, you know, than what I do, but... Um, I look at it from the standpoint of it's it, it, it you have to have system it has to be systematized it has to be like replicable and I, I, you know I talk about it all the time on the podcast in my career the probably one of the best places that I ever could have worked was when I worked with Target because everything they have is a common practice with the trifold brochure that's why training is so easy and the stores are so are pretty much uniform it's really easy to go in and find a store manager for Target that's doing a bad job. I mean, right. very easy. From a consumer can see it, but from the ops side internally, I always knew when I went into a broken store exactly where I needed to look because it was obvious they weren't on the common practice. And I think that that's a lot of the time. It, it's funny because agents agents want they want to talk out of both sides of their mouth. So use the VAs for for an example with this. They gripe because they, they, they don't have a VA and they need somebody to come in and they need them to take some work off their plate. They bring these people in and then they gripe and moan that the person doesn't do things the way they want them done, but they've done absolutely nothing to train these people. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's the thing. Even if you go, it doesn't matter if you go to CoverDesk or Agency VA or any of these VA companies that are out there that, that offer a trained uh, VA. They're trained in a general process, but nobody's ever trained in the way you do it. And that's a really dangerous way, in my opinion, to build your agency, because the only way you're ever going to be able to scale is if you take the time to train everybody the way you do it, or you build your own internal version of total CSR, which will never be as robust because the agencies are not going to invest that kind of money at the agency level to make a learning management system work the way that they want it to for their way. So I think there has to be some some semblance of th their way needs to die a little bit if they're going to really grow and, and make it a more uniform deal. And maybe you can add some ingredients along the way, but if you're really looking to, to plug and play and grow your agency, you, you might have to walk away from quote your way a little bit in order to do that as, as best you can. Yeah. But also, so, and this is the shameless product plug. One of the things we know is that every agency, as you mentioned, has their specific processes. And it's one of the reasons when we reinvested back in the company, we said, we need the ability for our customers to easily build their own courses. So what happens after I learn to complete an Accord form? Well, if I'm using Applied Epic or AMS 360, 
I'm going to input that data in a different manner. If I issue an auto ID card, it's going to look different for both of those. And even within the same agency management system, it looks different. So what we've allowed is that all the interactivity you see in our system, they can build simple drag and drop uh, way of building courses, but they can upload their specific videos on how to do the process. So they go through our coursework and we did a case study on really what job shadowing does versus training. And what we found is the first time I job shadow any process, let's say issuing an auto ID card, I retained 15%. Second time, 30%. Third time, 60%. So it's really difficult to get competency. So then you have an account manager frustrated and a, the learner frustrated that, you know, I'm not being taught well. And so what we've encouraged our agencies to do is, OK, you go through our process. But then if you build your own, have them watch the video three times through before if they ever sit somebody and then have it watch it again. And then you've got that material. And yes, you do have to invest. Um, and it's one of those things we've said, even with our customer base, we say, look, if you've got a VA, we have no problem you putting your own VA through it. And so then they can have that that's specific to what you do as well. And it's in a repeatable fashion and you know they've got the competency. Um, but one of the challenges these new, these agencies who come on board or even looking at us say, what is it gonna look like? What's the proof? And you know we've got all our testimonials, et cetera, but I'm big on data. And I, I think you guys are, are too. So we finally did a case study. We have 500 test results because we do a lot of assessing both on coverage knowledge and the ability to do the job, completing a court forms, reviewing quotes, et cetera. And we finally compared a candidate that went through and passed all of our assessments, but then went through our new hire commercial lines training program. And we tested her results against industry professionals that hadn't gone through our course, but had three plus years of experience. So all account managers, et cetera. She outperformed all of them in every category except for one hmm. and was shallow. She got an 87%. They got a 91%. But in every other area, this person with 30 days of experience outperformed them. So as long as we provide that data, then they see that value and then they can say even more, okay, if this works for the generalized processes, how much more is this going to work when I build out my own coursework so it's repeatable for my team members? And they start you know, taking what I thought was a good idea and making it great and repeatable for their own staff um, as they got into the nitty gritty. Interesting. Yeah. So you're also setting the table for something else that you've done to morph the product. And I mean, I have intentionally led you exactly to where I wanted you to be specifically with the customization piece. Because I did remember from when we talked in Chicago that that was something up there. And I want to make sure agents understand, yeah, this is a process, but you can now put your spin on it with a lot less work than if you built the whole thing from your own and you can customize it. But talk a little bit too about the testing and the applicant profiling and stuff that you've added on the front end. Because I think there's an argument to be made that also you're helping people identify who that absolute best candidate is that's going to perform the best inside of your system before they ever even make them the offer to come on board. Yeah, so one of our biggest challenges in the industry is the options that were out there for assessing personality, cognitive aptitude, were typically done on a transactional basis and were expensive. Now, if you talk to any assessment company, they will tell you, you need to assess at the front end, which would cost a lot more money. And so if you've got 50 candidates, you really should be assessing all of them before you even do a phone screen. So in our system, we assess for personality profile tied to the specific role in the agency. We also test for aptitude tied to the specific role. We test for emotional IQ, which again is critical in what we do, and computer literacy. So if they pass all four of those, then they get a green light into our system for a phone screen. We provide questions to ask in a phone screen that are best in practice. We then, if they make it through that stage, we will go and ask them uh, questions that are specific to their results on their personality profile and emotional IQ profile so that we can drill down if they were trying to game the system because as best as online assessments are and as best as our algorithm is, someone's going to be able to BS it. They have a much harder time with specific questions BSing when we're actually in an interview. And so now assume we have two paths. We have a brand new person. We hire them. They go straight into our learning. But let's say you're hiring an existing person and you're down to three candidates. 
you're going to test them on coverage knowledge and get a detailed report on how they perform there, as well as can they do the actual job? So you can separate you know, the pretenders from a real McCoy. And so all of this throughout the whole process is objective data. So at the end of the day, the question you have to ask is, are they a culture fit for our agency? Versus I go and I do the assessments at the tail end, then I have confirmation bias because I really like the person and I'm gonna ignore some of these results and or I've wasted a tremendous amount of time interviewing people that were never going to be capable of doing the job. Yeah. And I mean, what's the adoption rate been like on the people, you know, that have, as far as using that process before hiring? It's been significant initially. So we had a, a an email deliverability issue. So we, we launched it and then for 60 days, we didn't get much adoption until finally I got an email from a customer who says, why didn't you let us know that you guys upgraded? I said, <laughs> what are you talking about? And so we, we found out what the, the problem on the deliverability side is, but it's been really significant and we've got most agencies doing it. The only challenge now is that with the market being so tight for trying to find talent, um, a lot of them are switching and, and using the model a little bit differently. So now what they're doing is getting the candidate to apply first, getting them on the phone, and then having them take the assessments. And that's really just a condition of the marketplace where you can't get enough applicants in, so they wanna hook them first and then do the assessments. It's not best in practice, but it seems to be necessary across the board just so they get the applicants in at this time. But the adoption rate, I think we've got 70% of our 1,500 agencies now using it. It's pretty solid. Well, I think part of it too is most agencies are always hiring as they need people instead of hiring when they don't need people, you know, and knowing that down the road. So they're not building their bench, right? Yeah. You know, I know I've been guilty of that and I'm, you know, trying to put myself in a position on the service side where we continue to be staffed more than production so that, that the producers can go out and keep opening the floodgates. But that makes the problem even worse when there's a lack of talent out there and everybody has waited until they absolutely have to have somebody to come in. It's kind of a kind of a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle, you look like you got something on your mind. Um, I, I wanted to see, you know, Justin, what's been the most rewarding thing for you through this, through this journey of creating total CSR. So for us, it's, it, or for myself, it's twofold. One, we've been able to train over the past 18 months, 10,000 people. So those are 10,000 people who weren't in the industry and the retention rate because they were trained, because they saw the industry commitment is much higher than the standard millennial that comes in. So that's rewarding. The other thing is I am not a huge proponent of college if you're coming into the insurance industry. I'm fine if your parents are paying for it and you're not taking on debt, but we've been able to train a significant amount of people and shift the mindset even amongst the largest companies that it's a better way because college doesn't teach you about insurance. Even the risk management programs don't. And so for somebody to, that's bright, passes all of our assessments, to go and be able to contribute to an organization, and in California, Orange County, someone who goes through my program can get a job making $50,000 day two. And I've got a ton of agencies who would take them on for that with no college debt. And so we're bringing in this entirely different pool that normally would never even consider insurance, but it's a benefit to our employers out there because now when they give a raise, that raise isn't just to service the college debt of the individual, so it's more appreciated, appreciated on that side. And what they see is the entirety of the process. So it's been rewarding because I've been able to change the mindset of some of these large companies that let's say they just hired a new person. All they would do is teach the person loss runs or how to do endorsements, and they would just do that. Well, we teach the entire process, even though you're just going to play in a certain lane, and they've now realized the value of teaching everything because now they have a career roadmap to see all the things they get to play with as they develop their knowledge base, which accelerates it. So between getting people outside the industry to come in and being able to take these big, massive organizations to listen to little old me 
on what they should do and to see that impact and improve the retention needle of their staff, that's been incredibly rewarding. Nice. I agree with you on the college thing. I've always said that it, I can't remember the stuff that I learned in class. I mean, very, very little of it, unless you're, unless you're going for something super specialized. Like if you're going to be a doctor, obviously there's a totally, that's totally different, but you know, I went to school for business. I learned more in college about how to um, relate with people and develop, you know, social awareness and skills and, and things of that. I nature. bet you did. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, part of this could be that I didn't go to class. I don't know, but um, <laughs> the you know, and, and and how to like you know manage time effectively and just you know be on my own and, and learn responsibilities. I think that was what was more useful for me and what I gained out of it. But you know, um, I, I agree with with what you're saying there. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I'll, I'll, I'll never get to remember which book it was. It was either one of Malcolm Gladwell's books, one of the Freakonomics books, or it may even have been one of the uh, Tom Stanley's books, Millionaire Next Door, one of those. I don't remember where the stat came from, but I remember reading it multiple times. And that is that, you know, the average CEO of a Fortune 500 company was a C student in college. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't graduating at the top of their class. And the study was talking about exactly what you said. They got the social game right. And that's Mm -hmm. what's allowed them to progress through the ranks corporately because they could play the politics and they have the the social relationships that they needed to have to get there. Look, there's a lot of smart people out there that were 2.0 students in college. You know, it, it doesn't mean that you're not intelligent. It just means that you were focused on other things, right? At least that's how I justified it to myself the whole time. But I mean, I think there's some truth to that, man. I mean, I grew up in a very conservative home where, you know, I mean, no disrespect to the Amish people by saying this, but it was, it was close. You know, we had electricity, but for crying out loud, I mean, other than that, you know, my parents never dropped a uh, a drop of alcohol in their life. You know, and I, I went to school 900 miles away. What did you think was going to happen in that environment? Yeah. You know, and, you know, it seems to have worked out okay in the end. But I mean, I think the insurance industry, I joke about it sometimes, but it's kind of like, you know, the, the land of misfit toys in the Christmas hmm. special where everybody who just sort of got cast away from whatever else they were doing or got sick of doing it ends up on this island of insurance and it seems to work for them. You know, some of the best producers that that I have ever been around probably still couldn't pass very many tests. They don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I, I wouldn't discourage anybody younger because we seem to have a lot of younger people that are just getting into the industry that listen to this hey if you're if you're a c student or you were a c student you're gonna be just fine it's okay be just fine you can make a really good living as an average college student (laughs) in the insurance industry so what what do you see on the horizon man where do you think things are headed i mean i'm not asking you to give away any trade secrets or anything like that but i mean you you have morphed quite a bit. I can't imagine that you're done. You know, what, what do you see coming down the road? So we have one top secret thing we're not talking about public publicly, but that will turn everything on its head over the next 18 months. Um, but immediately uh, we recognized a need for additional coursework, EPL, DNO, cyber, pollution, um, because there's a lot of people who deal with a portion of that, but don't do it every day. Um, So that's the immediate program. But when we were going through this, one of the challenges that we also saw that was a deficiency in our program is while we talk about proposals, most agencies never teach someone how to explain a proposal to an insured. And so you can ask 80% of my customers, does an account manager know how to do anything but put the proposal together, email it to the insured, let alone does a producer know how to explain from a risk management point why that proposal is critical, why that insurance is critical. So we're adding things like that into the program, video presentation with notes, et cetera, so that people can get a better understanding of how to explain it to an insured, as well as when we talk about the questions that get asked, both on the accord form and supplemental applications, why something's important. Why is the underwriter even asking this question? Because so often, and you guys know this, right now what's taken for granted is I need to go to a price point and then the underwriter's justifying it later. That's become the MO. 
But when we get into a hard market, we have to explain this in more depth. And quite candidly, when we've got a client with losses or we have a client with a height exposure, we need to be able to explain why it's a problem and or explain to the underwriter what steps they've taken to mitigate that and so why it's not a problem. So finishing this, we'll launch that mid-October. We have a significant upgrade to our existing new hire training programs. And then ultimately where we're going to play is in the verticals, construction, manufacturing, uh, hospitality, because there's a real need there for professionals to be hyper niche focused. And I know, David, you talk about this a lot in that. You can't dominate in a, a section if you're not the expert, um, if you don't know those pain points. And so really hitting that for the individual agencies is going to be critical and doing it in a very immersive environment um, and something that really gets them to understand the exposures for the customer base. So we'll continue building out the product along those lines. And then candidly, what we do is we're surveying our customer base and saying, what direction do you want us to go next? Because if I'm honest, we did an employee benefits program. And so group benefits. And I just thought that this was going to be the killer program that that was wonderful because it was a whole other side of the market that I hadn't approached. And we had very minimal adoption at the beginning. I didn't take the time to ask my customers what they wanted next. And so a lot of this is we don't go too far down in the, the timeline without asking the customer base, what is it that you want? Where are we deficient? And so past the next 12, 18 months of development, we really don't know because we're going to circle back with the customers and say, okay, tell us where we need to improve now. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I think that's the thing too, man, is we've built out even, even inside killing commercial. I talk about it with people is we've built out the forum style environment, you know, which we realized after the fact was going to be a necessary evil because we were having great conversation in the activity feed, but unfortunately there's no way to tag that stuff and go back and revisit it later. So we created a forum and I tell people, this is going to be as robust or non-robust as you want it to be. The only way this grows is with your feedback, your participation, and your contribution of content to those to those conversations. And with that, you know, direction, it'll be an invaluable resource five years from now. But unfortunately, it can't grow until the interaction and the conversation happens. People will tell you what you need to build into your product. People just have to be willing to listen. That's not isolated to you. I mean, it's any any one of them. It doesn't matter if you're better agency out there building an, an AMS CRM. These guys are all over it in their user group on Facebook all the time, taking feedback. I mean, I might argue sometimes they take too much feedback and, and want to try and keep everybody happy, but they're doing a good job of growing their business as a result of having their hand on the, you know, their, their fingers on the pulse of what their users want and need. You know, I think that um, a lot of people could do a lot better with the development of products in our space if they took time and just listened to what people are looking for. On the flip side of that, you're going to have people who bitch about things regardless of what it is. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's never going to be good enough. It's never going to have what I need for my agency. I, I just learned a long time ago that, to tune people like that out because they're just they're always going to exist. Nothing is going to make them happy ever. <laughs> But I think it's great. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the feedback is you get. I do think, you know, I've been saying this for over a year and a half now, buy-sell agreements on life, cyber, and management liability coming out of COVID are three big areas of opportunity. Look how hard cyber has gotten in the last year to year and a half. Mm -hmm. Look at how hard management liability is getting management and professional lines. And even with, with COVID, I guess if you wanted to say that life insurance had a hard market, COVID has certainly changed that. But I mean, most, most of the people that I know that are producers or account managers, we just talked about it. They don't have that conversation. They don't have the conversation about buy, sell and life and why specifically that's important to an agency. And I think that if you, you know, you build training around that, that's a great revenue stream that's really, really easy to adopt. With mm -hmm. the cyber and the management liability, to me, that comes down to a very simple 
people don't understand the product. They don't want to work to understand the product. And that product varies dramatically from carrier to carrier and from admitted to excess and surplus lines versions. And you really have to be able to read and interpret coverage forms and at least know here's the top 10 to 15 things that I'm looking at. Period. Like, I bet you right now, if you polled every agent who sells cyber insurance across the country right now, do your clients have an indemnity policy that's reimbursement in the time of a claim, or do you have a pay on behalf of policy? The overwhelming majority of agents can't tell you. They don't know. They never read it. Mm -hmm. And God forbid that the claim comes in and your client's on the hook now to pay the ransomware to get reimbursed. Like, do you have Bitcoin on file or do you have the ability to pay somebody in cryptocurrency if they lock you out of your own systems? Probably not. What's that look like? You're going to go get a Coinbase account set up, get verified, have your account verified, your identity mm -hmm. and all of those things, and then be able to go purchase enough Bitcoin in a day? Nope, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> You're going to be down for a long time. And so now all of a sudden, if the policy for reimbursement is $1,500 cheaper than the policy for pay on behalf of... I can easily make the argument of why you want this. You're not buying the insurance as a collectible. You're buying it to respond in the event of a claim. This is how this is going to respond, period. This is what you want. This is why. And I think that that's where we start having a gap. And it's one of the things I preach all the time. You have to have a functional knowledge of insurance and you have to have a proven and replicable sales process. You can only get that functional knowledge by going out and getting educated. Mm -hmm. There is no lack of education opportunity in the insurance industry. It's just people don't search it out. Like if you wanted to learn deep dives on management liability specific to products or carriers or whatever else, pretty sure you could go to any of the carriers who write it. You could go to any of the brokerage that write it and they're going to be able to tell you all of, I mean they have webinars all the time my email gets inundated with it but as an agency if you have a tool like total CSR that's going to say look this isn't going to be the be all end all at the end of the day you have to know your coverage forms but these are the things that you need to know that you're looking for in those coverage forms that's a huge learning curve taken out but I mean otherwise you're reading through 50, 100 pages of insurance policies just to know what it, it goes back to Justin's point. Do you even know how to explain what's going on in the proposal? No. No, they don't. Most of the time. And I'm probably guilty of it earlier in my career before I knew the differences, but I decided to learn. Yeah. And most people, if you poll producers, account managers alike, I'd say 65% of people have never read a policy cover to cover. And it's one of the reasons with our advanced training, we not only go through it in detail, but have examples for every exclusion, every endorsement, because then you have to not only have read it, you have to be able to explain it, just like you did, David, as far as the cyber liability side of things, because you can't turn it into an arrow in you know in your quiver unless you know how to explain it and you know how to explain the value proposition but yet yeah, they have to be motivated and so even with your program if you've got somebody and you teach them all the sales skills in the world and they're not willing to do that effort of learning something additionally and even it's as easy as i've never met an underwriter who said no when i said explain this to me I've mm -hmm. met underwriters who couldn't explain it to me, which is a challenge. But if you said, I want to sit down with you on a Zoom call or in person for an hour, and you walk me through a cyber policy or an EPL policy, they love to impart their knowledge on you. And you can get one-on-one -on -one attention. You don't even need a webinar. And you can ask as many questions as you want, um, which is, is a great thing on the, the carrier side of the equation, if you ask. And so, uh, you know, I'm not preaching anything you don't already know, uh, but that's the biggest challenge for agencies is you've got a producer who, even if they can prospect, do all this stuff because maybe they were a C student, they didn't want to do the studying or they didn't learn proper you know, studying habits, getting them to actually take that next step and really learn so that they can be properly equipped can be a challenge. And that's one of those things when we're assessing as well, we want to know, are these people going to be active learners and motivated um, so that they can be successful within the, the core duties of the agency? Yep. I was going to say that goes back to your point about the, the pre-assessment before bringing people in. Definitely. 
Yeah, so I want to be respectful of time. We're getting close to wrapping up. What if we miss, Justin? I mean, you said shameless plug earlier. It's not shameless when we invite you on the show to <laughs> talk about your product. So go go for it. What is it that we haven't asked you that you think people need to know about? I think it's it comes down to you have to have a plan. And so when, when people ask what my vision is, I'm generating the world's biggest insurance talent magnet. And at least that's what I think it is, uh, because now what millennials and Gen Z want is an onboarding program that's robust. They want a career path that's going to see them past the fir- first 18 to 24 months. And too often, we're not thinking about that as an agency owner. We're thinking about the need right now. And so one of the benefits of a product like ours is the fact that because we're an active user license, if Janie finishes the program, and you have a summer intern, you can bring that summer intern, put them through the program, get them to understand what the business is like. So if you do extend an offer to them, they're set and ready to go based on day one. And or if you're going out in your local community, you can offer things like, I'm going to give you free training. I'll even pay for your licensing, regardless if you come to my agency. Word is going to get out that you have a training program. Now, they're much more likely to go to somebody who has a training program and give you an opportunity to compete against the other businesses in the area. And so those are the type of things where we're now educating our customer base on is thinking outside of just that individual hire, but how do we proactively build that pipeline like we would with prospects of potential candidates, knowing that not everybody is going to be a fit uh, for our agency, but we're still going to go and put out that effort. But other than that, um, I, I think we've covered it all. We are committed to being better. And if and we know we have customers that uh, are listeners of your, your podcast. If there's something you don't like or something you want don't you know, that you want to see, just reach out. It's really easy to get a hold of us. And uh, we'll take that input without any judgment. Cool. How do they get a hold of you, man? Uh, really simple. Uh, my email is justin at totalcsr.com. You don't have to go through any screeners, etc. And or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can go to our website, book a demo. Um, really simple. You just attach it to your schedule, just like a Calendly would. So we're very available and you know, we'll pick up the phone and return calls pretty darn quickly. Same with emails. Good deal, people. You heard it here. We are fans. Love what you guys are doing. Look forward to seeing what the top secret stuff is. It's dropping in 18 months and wish you guys nothing but continued success. If you're listening to this and you have a training issue, whether you realize you have one or not, these are the people you need to talk to. I don't get paid a dime to tell you that. And so I want to make sure you understand that, you know, we bring you the people and the products that we use in our agency and that we believe in. And these guys are the best at what they do. I highly recommend you check them out. So with that being said, we're going to wrap up. Justin, thanks so much for coming on, man. And we will catch everybody else later. See ya. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.